Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. to Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Raylia Liu, CREI Fertility Specialist and Gynecologist. Welcome, Raylia. Welcome. And we're joined today as we continue our series, Personalising PCOS, by Wendy Fideli, Dietitian at Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome back, Wendy. Thank you. Excited to be here. Very important diet and PCOS, as we've discussed in our opening episode of series and in previous episodes with you, Wendy, will we talk a little bit about uh, insulin resistance, how it's diagnosed, and then what that can mean? Insulin resistance is one of those um, things that can be screened for via blood tests. And so there's an equation that you can do sort of based on your fasting insulin and glucose levels so that your doctor will organise for you. I think often talking to clients that can be really obvious when it is a factor and certainly there are quite a lot of symptoms of it. So things like pattern of weight gain. Um, Also when women tell me that they have really strong sort of cravings um, for sugar and carbohydrates and a few other physical symptoms as well. So yeah, it's certainly something that you can screen for via blood test, but often a lot of women kind of suspect that it might be an issue for them anyway. Often with PCOS, insulin resistance is different to frank diabetes. In PCOS, you can be insulin resistant at the level of the ovary and it affects the expression of receptors involved with insulin-like growth factor, which actually do influence whether uh, an ovary goes into a cycle or not in the context of a woman's hormonal environment. So you can be insulin resistant in a clinically significant way with PCOS that impairs your ability to release an egg and get pregnant without actually being diabetic. And I think that's really important for women to understand. So Wendy, I often see a huge range of women who have PCOS. So I think it's important to point out that it's not one unifying diagnosis that everybody responds to in the exact same way. And there are definitely women who through dietary change together with lifestyle change and exercise, muscle building, will start to ovulate naturally, more regularly and even completely regularly in some cases. And there'll be others who need extra help. But my feeling is diet is a critical component for every woman with PCOS because if it's not the whole solution, it's definitely part of the solution that makes it easier to help them. Definitely. And I think... From a nutrition point of view, there are quite a few different angles to come at it from. And so, for example, we know that insulin resistance is one thing that we can target with nutrition. And then also inflammation tends to be a big part of it for some other women. And that's certainly something that we can have an impact with nutrition. And then sort of more and more recently, we're finding 
at kind of how important your gut health is. And that's also definitely something where nutrition is involved in as well. Yeah, a few different angles from a nutrition point of view. So, and like you said, for some women, you know, nutrition and lifestyle will certainly be enough to, to have a huge difference and to help them ovulate regularly um, and manage a lot of those symptoms. So I think also there's two categories of women with PCOS that we see in general gynecology. I tend to see those wanting to have a baby as a fertility yeah. subspecialist, but you know, PCOS is not something that just happens to you when you're planning a family. Often women are affected throughout their lives and often in the longer term, you know, we can make massive impacts on risk factors for things like gestational diabetes and long-term diabetes and metabolic syndromes by implementing changes at an early stage. Can you talk to the benefits of a optimised diet for women with PCOS at every stage of life? Absolutely. And so I guess what's really sort of encouraging is that I feel like recently I'm seeing more and more younger women who have just recently been diagnosed with PCOS coming to see me to help with sort of symptom management and looking at those long-term implications. Whereas I feel like until kind of recently, people were coming when they were trying to get pregnant because that's when they started to consider it more. But certainly from that earlier point of view, there's lots that we can look at from a nutrition point of view and things like managing insulin resistance but looking at it from a holistic point of view can certainly impact, you know, some of those physical symptoms that women struggle with. So things like excess hair growth, putting on sort of more weight centrally, a lot of women struggle with things like the really strong cravings and feeling quite out of control around food are definitely things where diet can play a big role. And then of course, when they're looking to try to conceive, nutrition will, you know, can play a role in helping with regulating ovulation and their periods, which is obviously helpful when you're trying to conceive. But then, you know, we start to look towards the future as well because we know that, yes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it certainly can increase your risk for um, some sort of lifestyle-related chronic diseases and so trying to manage those from a nutrition point of view. So looking at blood sugar level management, trying to reduce your risk of diabetes later in life, blood lipid management, so looking at your cholesterol levels from that point of view as well. So it is one of those things that we can manage across the lifestyle and our focus changes depending on where you are in your life stage. I think that's an important thing to think, to note is that we often talk about just fertility on this podcast and, in fact, PCOS is a lifelong condition that's chronic and, of course, you can live with, but you can definitely improve your lifestyle and quality of life through nutrition. That's right. And the ovarian side of it tends to get forgotten, I guess, for women who later in life and they've had their families and often as for all women our ovarian reserve decreases as we get older so the polycystic ovary becomes relatively less polycystic and as women age they may have more regular menstrual cycles before they ultimately transition through menopause but those lifestyle and genetic factors that made them present with polycystic ovarian syndrome as a young woman are still with them from a metabolic perspective and do have the potential to impact adversely throughout life if we don't address them. Yeah, and I think that's why I also explain to my clients that whatever lifestyle and dietary changes they're going to make 
really we need to make sure that they're sustainable and it's not enough to just sort of go on a fad diet that's going to make you drop all this weight and might improve your you know insulin resistance in the short term because if you can't maintain that in the long term well then you're sort of going to be back where you started from and you're still going to have all those increased risk factors as well. So Wendy touching on weight so when you're not trying to get pregnant but you want to manage PCOS and regulate your cycle weight loss can often be a significant goal in dietary change Uh, whereas when you are trying to get pregnant we don't want rapid weight loss do we? No exactly right and we know that sort of extreme fad diets and losing weight very quickly can have a negative impact on your fertility. Um, The other thing is, is that those sorts of diets are certainly not recommended in pregnancy. You certainly won't be able to meet the nutritional demands of pregnancy. So from that point of view, we do need to look at things quite differently. But that being said, wherever you are and whatever your goals are, I never tend to recommend rapid fad diets because I think overall with PCOS, looking at overall nutrition is really important as well and making sure that, you know, by solving one problem, we're not creating another problem. And so a lot of those extreme fad diets can sort of have an impact on your gut health, which we know in the long term isn't going to be great for your health either. And another thing that I noticed that a lot of people come to see me with is a long list of supplements that they've been taking, all kinds of different supplements. It wouldn't be unusual for and either self-prescribed or sometimes clinician-prescribed, but it wouldn't be unusual for me to see a patient come with a list of, you know, 12, 14 different supplements that they're on. And I always say to patients, look, you know, there's lots of good things that we can put into our bodies, but it's worthwhile, you know, kind of thinking of, of food as medicine and trying to, without the context of an extreme deficit that needs replenishing, to try and get most of our nutrition through food rather than supplementation? I do certainly use supplements at times with certain clients in my practice, but you can't out-supplement a crappy deficient diet and still believe that diet should be the main focus and then supplements can sort of support that. Um, And certainly we know that there are some specific nutrients that women with polycystic ovarian syndrome seem to be at a greater risk of deficiency of. And then at the same time, certain sort of treatments that are used for PCOS can make you sort of even more at risk of deficiency. So metformin and B12 deficiency can be a little bit more common there. So there are certain cases where, you know, we'll be addressing deficiency. And then there's a bit of sort of research as to the benefits of certain supplements that is growing a little bit. So sometimes I use things like inositols in practice. But I agree with you that often I see women just coming with a whole range of supplements that they've read about on the internet. Very often they're sort of doubling up on different nutrients within those supplements. Often those supplements have things that I wouldn't be recommending um, sort of in the lead up to pregnancy or they'll end up taking sort of them in an amount that is far greater than I'd be recommending in the lead up to pregnancy and then some of them just you know are not appropriate for them generally so I think supplements is definitely one of the areas where I think it pays to get some individualized advice and definitely I'd like to see sort of blood tests to kind of know what we want to be supplementing for and getting a really good look at your diet and seeing sort of areas that we need to be adding to that we can't make up for with food. I think that's great. Wendy, can you talk a little bit about inositol and the sugar binders 
as part of PCAS management? And what they are? So they're sort of, they're naturally occurring um, molecules that women with PCOS, some studies have shown that they seem to have sort of an imbalance or a deficiency of them. And there's now a bit of research that supplementing with them for many women can have quite a lot of benefits um, for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And obviously it depends what your particular issues are. But for example, for some women, if insulin resistance is an issue, it does seem to work on insulin sensitivity and so can have um, benefits there and therefore impact a lot of the physical symptoms as well. Um, and quite a lot of my clients find that they really help if they have sort of strong carbohydrate and sugar cravings. That's one place that they can be helpful. It is one of those things where it can take a little bit of time to see benefit. And while I see many women who they do seem to get benefit for, at the same time, that's always sort of in conjunction with diet and lifestyle changes that we're making. For some women, they don't seem to have a huge impact on. So it's not going to work for everyone. Yeah, a lot of my clients that I see often will give them a go if they've been, it's been suggested that they start metformin or something like that. Sometimes they might want to try something before they go to that level. And that's when it can also be a really good option. What are your thoughts on inositol, Australia? So look, my main thoughts are that to some degree, sugar is the enemy of PCOS. And in our natural diets, we would have had a lot less refined sugar than in our modern diets. And we would have also had to work a lot harder to get our sugar as a hunter-gatherer person. Yeah. We'd have to have expended a lot more physical energy to get our nutrition. In terms of um, being able to go to the shop and pay for a very high sugar rich food that's a you know curse of the modern lifestyle the best thing I would say is to reduce your sugar in your diet specifically your refined sugar and then modulate and moderate your long burn sugars and that will help a lot with PCOS management the binders like inositol are more about if you eat the sugar how can we stop the sugar getting into your system so it's more about binding it in the gut so that it doesn't get through. So that may indirectly affect insulin resistance because the more sugar we have, the more insulin we secrete in the rebound reaction. Um, but things like metformin, it's not an either or because metformin works at the level of the ovary in PCOS in a very different way than it works in diabetes. And at the level of the smooth muscle, it improves the way that we absorb sugar with and and how effective the insulin we have is in doing its job but I agree with you they're both kind of a, a band-aid solution for having too much sugar and not burning enough and you know some of us get away with it because of our genes and because of our adaptability but women with PCOS are particularly bad at managing it naturally and so those who do try and manage it naturally often do have a restricted diet compared to their girlfriend who's demographically identical but doesn't have PCOS and it's unfair they put on weight more easily and they have to do more exercise to burn it off perhaps they can't tolerate an equal calorific diet compared to someone without PCOS so it's I think about adapting what goes in to our genes and our environment to try and create balance and just understanding that it's not fair and not everyone can eat the same thing and still ovulate. Something 
I think what we need to avoid as well, though, is real extremes. Reducing sugar and sort of being careful with your diet, definitely important. But going to those extremes of saying, I'm going to cut out all sugar, very often that in itself is what will drive more and more sugar cravings. And so when I see so many women who have come to see me and they've been told they're not allowed to have any carbohydrates or sugar and they you know, can't even have fruit. And then all that does is sort of just make them want it more and more and that can sort of lead to those you know, binge episodes. Yeah, and yo-yo. I agree. I think you know, it's about moderation. It's about moderation and it's about conscious eating. It's about, you know, kind yeah. of, and you're, you're the expert in this area rather than me. You know, I know the principles, but the how to, you know, patients ask me for dietary advice and I say, please see Wendy, because people don't understand that it's not a one sentence answer, that, you know, you can't kind of give that wisdom that you would take into account what they've been eating over the last few months, what their cultural background is, what the foods that yeah. are acceptable to them are, what their tolerances are what their likes and dislikes are and then help them over a significant period of time and you know so it's not a one sentence answer do this don't do that yeah and I think I love also what you said about like it's about conscious eating because so much of what I do work on with my clients is that sort of awareness and that mindfulness around their eating and their eating habits because that awareness around Firstly, your triggers that make you kind of crave certain foods or want to eat certain foods, but also things like, well, how do those foods make you feel afterwards? What sort of foods do they then what make you want to eat afterwards? All those sorts of things are such an important part of being able to change your diet. And it's so often we know what we should be eating, but it's what we really need to look at is the why and those more kind of behavioral and mindset things around eating. And Raylia, would a woman know before she comes to see you about infertility that she has PCOS? And is seeing Wendy something she should do in that time while waiting for her appointment? They might have a suspicion. One of the reasons that it takes a little while to get in to see us at our practice is that we do spend a lot of time with each of our patients, each and every one, and we're very committed to an individualised model of care. We can only see so many patients in a day and we can only take on so many patients at a time, And um, but we don't want to ever drop the standard of care that we give to every single one of our patients. So in terms of getting ready, what I often do is I often ask patients to undertake investigations that I know will be basic and helpful to me when they make their appointment and some of those take a little bit of time to come back. So that time is used fruitfully from my perspective. But, you know, I'm also strongly encouraging in our practice, which is a holistic model of care, to engage with our allied health team, including people like Wendy, because the changes that we talk about making through diet, through lifestyle, they take time. And if you put off starting those until you first see me, then you won't have had the maximum benefit that you can have in that time frame. And it can be, you know, we are so excited if our patients can start ovulating and get pregnant before they even need to see me. You know, that's what I would consider a success. If if a patient with PCOS makes an appointment to see me, they've got that, that's their safety net. And then in the meanwhile, they get working with Wendy and making those positive lifestyle changes. If they can pit me to the punch in getting them pregnant, then that's a success of our practice and our holistic model of care. 
So I would always say that it takes, you know, at least a couple of months for these dietary and lifestyle changes to translate. And even if they're not enough to fully get you into that regular ovulation with PCOS, what you're doing is you're lowering your threshold to respond to other therapies. So it's all working together. And the less resistant the polycystic ovary, the easier and faster it'll be to help you get pregnant. So I would definitely encourage my patients to, even if they want to before they've even seen me, engage with our holistic allied health team because we're all working together. We're all on the same page and we all have the same goals of helping our patients conceive in the most straightforward way possible. From a nutrition point of view, beginning to sort of prepare yourself and your body for pregnancy and beginning to work towards reducing risk of gestational diabetes is another sort of important factor there as well. So I agree, these sorts of changes take time. And so it's, you know, it's ideal if you can start it earlier. So great that you've got that time before your appointment with Raylia. I think that is something else is that we talk so much about the getting pregnant that we don't talk about once we are pregnant. And so you mentioned gestational diabetes as something that you can, if you put good nutrition in place before the pregnancy, then that will help you have a better pregnancy and a better recovery after birth. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And just sort of going into pregnancy, having an idea of how to better sort of manage your blood sugar levels can be really helpful, especially because in the first trimester, things often go out the window a little bit and it can be hard to kind of focus on, you know, making nutritional changes at that point. So if you've already got the good foundation, then that can be really helpful. And then just from sort of a general pregnancy health point of view, if we can, you know, work on your, you know, nutrition stores prior to pregnancy, then that's going to be beneficial to you growing baby into your health during pregnancy as well. Yeah, and our episode of Knocked Up in this series with Karen, our Dan Chinese medicine practitioner, she made a comment, she made a comment about nurturing the soil before planting the seed. And I thought that was a really nice way of putting it. Yeah, I love that. That's great because certainly it is, yeah, we're we're growing something and it it is the same with if you're growing a plant, it's not just about focusing on the plant that's growing, it's it's the foundations of what it's coming from, which which is you and your nutrition and your stores. So that's, I love that. And we talked a little bit about gestational diabetes. Not everyone with polycystic ovarian syndrome will get gestational diabetes, but a significant number will because it is an associated risk factor. But even if you do get a degree of gestational diabetes, there will be a significant number who with effective dietary change, especially over a longer term, may not be required to go on insulin. And that certainly does reduce the risk associated with gestational diabetes of needing something like induction of labour or interventions at birth or having a baby that grows too big, which is called macrosomia, or having a placenta that doesn't work quite so well. So all of these complications, you know, can be modulated by trying to make the best of the situation through diet and lifestyle. Wendy, if someone comes to see you for the first time, and I know we've said this before, but for new listeners, if someone comes to see you for the first time, what can they expect in an appointment? So let's say they've got an appointment with Raylia coming up. What would the patient then expect in their first appointment? Yes, so the first appointment is sort of a lot of information gathering 
and sort of coming up with a unique plan for you based on, you know, your specific needs and health issues. So, I mean, that's one of the great things about, you know, being part of a practice like Women's Health Melbourne is that, you know, there is that sharing of information and that sort of holistic approach. And so, you know, if I have access to blood results for you, then that certainly um forms part of the initial assessment, gathering your background, health information, so any other health issues that you might have going on that can impact your nutrition and your health. And then also a really sort of thorough look at your diet. And so I always say that before an appointment, with me, if you know that you're someone who's going to struggle to think on the spot of, you know, what you eat day to day in any level of detail, it can be helpful to keep a bit of a three-day food diary just to, to give me that level of information that I need. But we'll obviously go through that in a lot more detail in the session. And then as well as sort of asking those more kind of clinical questions, we also talk a lot about your relationship with food and with your body your relationship with sort of dieting and weight loss and things like that in the past, if that's relevant to sort of our session together, because so much of, you know, our past experiences with food and our body and dieting sort of has shaped where we are now and our relationship to food. And that can be such an important part of our plan together. That first session is really just forming, you know, a big sort of health and diet and relationship with food picture and then coming up with a specific nutrition plan to help you sort of work towards your goals. And any of our listeners who want to find Wendy, you can find her and have a link to make an appointment on the Women's Health Melbourne website under specialists. And Wendy, you also offer telehealth consultations. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, that obviously started a lot more in COVID, but um, I've just really kept it going because it's been really convenient for clients and it means that we're not sort of bound by location as much if you live further away. Um, So that's a really convenient option and you can still book that through the Women's Health Melbourne website. And I find that it's a really great option. We don't really lose anything. We're still able to see each other and it can be great. I'm in your home. If there are specific food products you want to show me, if you've got all your bottles of supplements, we can have a look together. So that can work really well for women. But then at the same time, there are those that want those in-person appointments. And for that, I do offer the in-person session at Women's Health Melbourne, which is great too. Thank you so much, Wendy, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Listener.